As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Big Jed, how are you? How was your Memorial Day weekend? Luke, it was awesome, and I am well. Thank you for asking. I uh, want to say uh, um, certainly something I learned in the show. We, we, full disclosure, sometimes we do our intro after we do the show, and I just learned that yesterday was your birthday, so I'm pretty tore up that I didn't say happy birthday to you on your birthday so happy birthday right here in the intro let's get that out of the way hope you had a wonderful day my memorial day weekend was incredible um i raced a little bit uh my my race team didn't perform extremely well but my junior driver Kate caulfield got the win in junior so that's always fun to see the kids do well uh, my racing stunk it up then went to the lake for a couple of days i uh i had a a little incident where I got slung off of the uh, the inner tube. It's one of those lay down tubes, and I got slunged it off of that, and um, it stripped me naked, Luke. It uh, my uh, my shorts, my 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 swim shorts were a little too large, and uh, it took them. It just took them. But luckily, my ankles caught them. Uh, this water was a big splash. It was a really big splash in the water, so I don't think anybody saw anything. But nonetheless, it was a fairly embarrassing moment. Uh, my neck hurts a little bit today, but other than that, I feel really good. And it was an awesome, awesome weekend. So um, I don't know what all you did, but uh, if you did anything, you know, that matched that type of uh, fun, just tell us all about it. I, I did not. Slung them right off. Huh? Slung them right off. <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, I'm a, I'm an underwear under the shorts guy under the swim trunks just in case. Mm-hmm. And, them uh, off too. I grabbed them boys too. Yeah, it took those <laughs> mid took those mid thigh. <laughs> so, so it was a it was a pretty rough spill. <laughs> uh similar to you i did spend the weekend at the racetrack our, our home track had a decent uh, memorial day race uh weather was gorgeous that's pretty much the highlight similar to you uh my junior dragster driver was carrying the flag for the team gary earned a runner-up finish on uh, do it gary yeah on sunday uh not much else to speak of my wife made it to the semis on sunday as well um so yeah there was there was there was one uh, driver on the team that was that was bringing up the caboose and that was me and it was no fault of my race car I had a really good vega got nothing to show for it but we had a good time um memorial day weekend big jed brings typically uh major events or, or big races regionally across the country it seems like that the holiday weekends in general whether it's memorial day fourth of july labor day every other racetrack has a has an event worth being at right um but to that end like a lot of regional events over the weekend that don't necessarily make the national radar, but two big races that did make the national radar, one on the top bulb, one on the bottom bulb. We'll talk about those at length. Um, we've got some very familiar names and, and, and maybe a, a bit of an up and coming name uh, in the winter circle at those events that we'll, we'll spend a great deal of time about here on today's show. Plus we got some drama. We got some fun. So oh yeah. We'll dive into that a little bit as well. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. All that and more, but first, PJ North. Obviously, uh, this is a time of year where some weeks you get plenty of racing, some weeks you get, you know, a few events or a couple events here and there and we don't have a ton of events to talk about but man what we have to talk about was um you know kind of covered everything it was exciting it was big money it was high profile large scale big stage racing and it even had a little drama in it which is a really good thing we got some top bulb stuff and bottom bulb stuff to discuss this week but let's start with the SFG World Series of Bracket Racing at Carolina. I don't know if you got to tune into that much. I was pretty distant from it. I've seen some of the aftermath. So wh- where do you want to start? Well, I think we should start with the winners because uh, there were some uh, some very large names that turned on final win lights at this event. And uh, certainly, you know, they had a, a $15,000 warm-up, but certainly the, the 75000 100000 were the the, the highlights of the weekend. Um, I think this thing was scheduled for maybe, um, maybe a 25, 50 and a hundred or something along those lines, but they changed the schedule up a little bit. I guess Friday didn't look great or something on the weather. And it seemed like they changed it up just a little and did their warm up race, their 15 grander, and then ended up with a 75 and a hundred. I'm not real sure how the schedule was supposed to look prior to that, but uh, that's obviously big time racing and there were some big time winners. And I know you, uh, I know you got some notes there that, that you want to talk about, but first and foremost, Scotty's back. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> Scotty's we, back. We've, yeah, we, we, we've had that, we've had that discussion on the show seemingly quite often in the last 18 months or so as Scotty come out of whatever type of semi retirement or hibernation he was in. 
But Scotty got the $15,000 win in the warm-up race over Gary Williams, obviously an all-star final round there. But, you know, that's a, that's a statement win for Scotty. You know, he just continues to do it, Luke, after all of these decades of championship drag racing, still can come out on a big stage. Regardless of what the purse is paying, it's still just as hard to win when you're surrounded by that kind of talent in the field and Scotty gets it done for 15K just to, to make sure everybody knows he's still out there. Isn't it funny how this works, Jed? Because I, I find it comical because I feel like it has worked this way for 30 years. We just got done singing the praises of Peter Biondo and saying just a week ago on this show, man, that guy comes out three times a year and he just, he wins every freaking time. I think that's even more impressive. Right. And, and we always yeah. talk about greatest of all time. Who's the goat. And it's, it's, it's one a and one B it's Peter and Scotty. And I've told you for years racing beside him, I'd go to a, a I'd race a couple of weekends with Scotty and watch him dominate and go, man, there is nobody that does it better. And then I'd go to a race where Scotty wasn't there and Peter was there and he'd win. And man, man, that that thing's really good. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Just go back and forth. That's been going on for 30 years. And and here it is. We spent last week talking about Peter the Great and and his $20,000 win at New Media. And it's literally five days later, Scotty rolls into Jackson, South Carolina, wins the $15,000 opener, and then almost goes fourth run in the table. The next uh, race was the $75,000 race that Sean Carpenter ends up winning. Uh, Scotty was in the door car final against Carpenter, which is the overall semi and is just a few thousands of a second away from being in back-to-back finals on, you know, the biggest stage of the weekend, one of the biggest stages in our sport and not to, to um, correct you necessarily, Scotty beat Gary Williams on the door car side in that 15 grander and then beat Joe Gary in the final round. Um, but yeah, oh, just stringing yep. together an incredible run of, I don't know. I mean, I imagine there's double entries involved, but the, the round win percentage through those first two days has got to be well over 80, 90% for a guy that it, it's no shock to see Scotty winning, but he hasn't raced a ton. Right. And, and he's in, I can't even call it inferior equipment. Like he wins all the time. His car's obviously really good, but it's not your, it's not your hundred thousand dollar bracket car, you know, that he's winning in, which I think makes it all the more impressive. So yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, Scotty's back. Yeah. Very impressive. And I did misspeak. I appreciate you correcting that because I did see that Joe Gary uh, runnered up the, the final, final round there. And he did, beat Gary on the door car side, which was, you know, uh, obviously an epic matchup whenever those two are lined up for one another. And then Joe Gary obviously is no slouch himself. That's a guy that's collected plenty of big checks in his career. But, you know, Scotty, you, you talk about the way he does it. I mean, he's got, he's still got all the tools. I mean, Scotty will go out there and hold quite a bit when he feels like it's necessary and he can go out there and, and make it look like, you know, he's making time shots, which I'm not sure ever really happens with him, but he can make it look that way. Uh, he, he just continues to impress with his ability. And as you said, we talk about, we talked about Peter last week and the 20 grander and, you know, who's the greatest. And you've said it many times, there's a one A and one B. And I don't think you're, you're willing to put anyone in those categories permanently, but you know, I would just love to see those guys make 20 laps against one another. And that wouldn't settle it by any means because that would turn out different probably every time you did it. 
but I would just love to see them make 20 laps versus one another, just to see who comes out. If someone could come out with more than 10, uh, I think it'd be very interesting because those true are truly the best this sport has ever seen and might be that way forever. Luke, I, you know, obviously the Williams brothers and many, many more uh, could, could hold their own against anybody, uh, whether their name Richardson or Biondo, but just the, the amount of time that these guys have done it at a very high level, it would be fun to watch them make 20 against each other just to see if somebody could get more than 10 of them. I said years ago, and, and this can never really come together unless you've got some type of promotional brain far stronger than mine, and there would have to be some kind of outside money coming in. But how cool would it be to have, maybe it's just Peter and Scotty, or maybe it's the top eight, just from a logistical standpoint, it'd be way easier if you could just get Peter and Scotty. And it's like a, a best of seven, but it's dragster versus dragster, equal equipment. And then the second time around is door car versus door car. And then it's foot brake versus foot brake. And then it's super stock versus super stock. And then it's rental car versus rental car. Like just do every facet because they can both do it all. And, and just show every club in the bag. Like, I, I think it'd be really, it, it would just be bragging rights. The seven races or seven rounds or 20 rounds probably wouldn't prove a ton, but man, it'd be fun to watch. That would be a blast to watch. And it would be really cool to see them uh, transfer those skills from car to car and, and see how that turns out. But, uh, you know, I, I would have no doubt that um, every race would be super competitive and the outcome would would be hanging in the balance uh, in the last 66 feet for most of those 20 runs. So Scotty, as impressive as he was, he was not the biggest winner of the weekend. And this next one wasn't the biggest winner either, but it was still a great performance. That was Sean Carpenter. Yes. Luke, Sean, Sean's a guy that's done a ton of racing around that area through the Carolinas and, you know, on up through Bristol and those places in Virginia. And he's a talented, talented guy and has won a ton. But I would venture to say this is the biggest thing Sean has won. And getting that $75,000 win over Fred Hagberg and, uh, and the – you know, the, uh, the smaller of the two main event races, obviously with a hundred grand or that's not much more, but it, it was a, a little bit bigger purse, but 75 grand Luke, that's a huge, huge win. And Sean got that done and then goes to the next day and semis in the hundred K, you know, basically about to have the dream weekend, but nonetheless, the 75 K win, the hundred K semi is basically a dream weekend for most that'll ever do this. That was a, uh, awesome performance by Sean. Yeah, Sean Carpenter, one of those one of those regional racers, and there's there's probably more than a handful of these across the country that uh, may not necessarily be a household name, but ain't nobody to mess with, right? And Sean Carpenter is is high up on that list. Has uh, been getting it done at a high level for a long time in a variety of classes. Like I remember Sean doing really well in IHRA Hot Rod. Uh, I believe he's done had some success off the bottom. Um, mainly door car guy, but man has, has done it at a high, high level on the big dollar bracket tour for a lot of years. Yeah, he has. And obviously, uh, getting your biggest win right here is probably only going to fuel that fire. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see more out of Sean as the, the big events in that region of the country continue to happen. 
But, you know, as big as that performance was, that wasn't the biggest of the weekend, Luke. That was done by our man, Stephen McCroy, is obviously known as Champ, coming off a, a heater that is really impressive. I got a chance to talk to Champ today, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. But, you know, I told him this is a 10-month stretch. It started when he come out of, quote-unquote, retirement in August of last year, went in 100 grander, and then you know, it really hasn't stopped and we could go on and on about the performances that he's had, but I mean, it's hundred K win happened in his car, which doesn't typically happen with champ. He'll usually jump in something that, you know, somebody's got him in a, in a partnership type deal, but he did this in his car and this was extra special to him. And that hundred thousand dollar win is, you know, super impressive. But when you, think in totality what he's done for 10 months Luke it's you know here's here we go again it's another one of those incredible runs that we continue to talk about on the show year after year it happens from someone and right now I'd have to say champ is probably about as hot as anyone over the last 10 months I mean you just take what he's done since you know diving back into the sport if you will um, I believe it started with, uh, with an SFG win at Darlington, um, late last summer. I think that was a hundred grander, um, goes to the, the OG million and advances to the semis goes to the guaranteed million advances to the final. And then what was it at Bradenton over the winter, a 50 grander that he wins. I mean, yeah. any one of those would be any one of those now five events over the course of the last eight months. Those would be career-defining accomplishments for 99% of us. And Champ's done it five yeah. times in the last 10 months. I mean, yeah. it's, it's nothing short of incredible. And I don't get the impression, like, I know that his show's been on the road a little bit more this year, but, like, he is not – I don't get the impression he's beating up the highway. Like, he's not racing every weekend – He's picking and choosing his spots and to come out and perform at that level. Like I, I went back through the, the, the results, the, the round by round, my God, big Jed. I mean, we, we talked about this a year ago, how not only is champ having this level of success champ and Jeff Sarah, like, like not only are they turning on wind lights at a high rate, like there's almost style points involved because they're not winning, you know, and they're not, they're not, lucking through rounds. I mean, obviously there's an element of right place, right time, but by and large, like they are just clubbing the competition over the head. And that is the way this looks on paper. I go through round by round uh, on the day that he won the hundred thousand dollar race. If we start back from the final round, he's nine, take one in the final. He's 10 in the semi to Kyle Coltrera's one thou red. Now the by run prior to that, he was two thou red. The rounds before that, Trips it seven, one, six. He went through a rough stretch there, second and third round. He was 11 and 14, two bad misses in <laughs> yeah. first round was trips. So, I mean, it's double O every round. And then you combine that with what we've come become very accustomed to at the finish line, which is just lights out finish line driving. And, and the, you got the rare combination. This is something that, that I feel like champ and Jeff Sarah share of just brutal aggression at the finish line, like trying to take nothing and, and succeeding in taking nothing uh, round after round and almost never making a mistake doing that. 
like it's really, really impressive on both ends of the track. And when you step back from it, I, I don't know what it was like to be there, but when you look at it on paper, you just go, whew, I mean, that looks unbeatable. Yeah. It's a, you know, obviously when somebody's doing it on both ends and, and doing it at the, the level that you're, you know, you're hoping for when you pull up there, double O, B double O, take double O, uh, you know, that's intimidating on top of making this, you know, difficult sport. Uh, you don't need it any more challenging than it is, but on top of the challenges that you face every round when you go up there and then you got somebody beside you doing that, you know, it works on you a little bit. And the, the two that you mentioned, Jeff, Sarah and Champ are, are doing it, you know, a little bit different than everybody else too, with a, an aggressive uh, dialing strategy where they are holding plenty of numbers and, you know, they just, they, they basically let you know right up front, they're going to get control of the race. Now it doesn't always go their way, but they're going to get control of the race. And that's another thing that works on you mentally. So those things are challenging and, and these guys are, are using that style um, in a time, using it successfully in a time that is very difficult to, to use that type of strategy on the starting line. He got that win over John Brown, Luke, uh, John in a fast door car, um, making his way to the hundred K final and certainly don't want to diminish what he accomplished. Uh, that was a huge day. Um, I would love to run her up a hundred thousand dollar race myself and, and let everybody say, Oh yeah. And, and Jed run it up. But, uh, that's a, that's an amazing day at the racetrack. So John Brown did, uh, you know, accomplished a lot himself and come up short to the, probably the hottest guy in, in racing over the last 10 months. So uh, especially when you consider the amount of laps that he makes, he, he doesn't go religiously to the racetrack each week. So huge deal there, huge purses great racing. They did have a junior dragster uh, category as well, Luke, where young Anna Shea Canfield got the win over dangerous Dylan Carr. Um, good final round there. I, I think you said the numbers were maybe 40 and dead on to 40 and a couple above. So really nice laps there for both racers. Obviously, Dangerous Dylan is the, the son of Shane and Carrie Carr. He's got some excellent teachers there in his camp and uh, Anna Shea uh, doing driving extremely well also uh, getting a win on a big stage so congratulations to those and it's always great to talk about the winners Luke but this event had just a little bit of drama if you will around it I don't know if you got to see much of that honestly I didn't get to see much and I will reveal my source uh, for what I learned today about this event and that was uh that was Stephen McCroy I, I did call him congratulate him and I wanted to just kind of get a breakdown of the drama that that I'm seeing you know you see bits and pieces of it through social media and you you try to put it all together and figure out what happened but you never really can do that so I wanted to go to a source that was there and and really saw what happened and uh I'm not sure how much of it you got to see Luke but there was there was a fair amount of drama around this one bits and pieces it feels big jed like i don't i don't want to pigeonhole this it feels like it wouldn't be an sfg race without some form of drama but my take on this and again you, you you've got more insight than i do my take on this is that the bulk of the drama here was not necessarily sfg related as much as it was carolina dragway related yeah i'm gonna say you nailed that uh, that was certainly a uh, champ's take on it and you know, a couple of these things I asked him about, a couple of these things he offered up. But, you know, I said, Champ, I'm seeing 
people talk about <laughs> their eyesight being affected this week after racing at Carolina Dragway. And, you know, maybe there was some tire shake and those type things and some iffy track conditions. And he said, definitely had iffy track conditions. He said uh, he saw quite a few struggle out there. He even had his share of challenges uh, through the week um, or weekend until he said Sunday. He said Sunday, it, it really worked extremely well. And he said uh, his car moved like eight thou all day. And of course he won. So, um, you know, that's those things tied to, to one another relatively easily. And he said, um, you know, he just, he's not real sure why the facility was having the struggles. He said they were dragging and trying to do everything they could, but he said just things wasn't working uh, at an optimal level. And he said that, that really dealt some people some, some difficult situations that, that they couldn't get through. He said, you know, he saw door cars going five and six off at times, just couldn't get off the starting line. He said he saw one do a second burnout, like it had water under the tires when he left. And he said there wasn't water. So, you know, those things uh, just tend to, to mar your event at times. But, you know, you look at some of these final rounds and you see some fairly fast door cars that are in them. So, you know, it's just another one of those situations, I guess, where, it probably wasn't optimal, but it wasn't like the worst track anyone's ever been on either. And it was somewhere in the middle and it just, it didn't work for everybody. No, I mean, we kind of get back to our, our, our age old solution for this big jet. Like I wasn't there. I didn't watch any of the live feed to be completely honest, but I'm looking at the results on paper and, and at least in the late rounds, like it's pretty nasty. So there were racers that that figured out how to navigate the course with some degree of pretty high degree of consistency so i i, I tend to to fault you know like like we've talked about before if other racers are getting down and you're not maybe you need to look in the mirror but again wasn't there now i'm interested big jed you can shed some light on this we talked about how figuratively Stephen mccrory is clubbing people over their head like my take on this is bailey ferraro was literally ready to club someone over the head what happened <laughs> so uh obviously they um had some challenges and i think probably um people were a little frustrated maybe people working there and people racing there you know that you everybody's frustration level was probably a little had risen just a little well and this so, is one of those things too Jim. we've talked about this before like it, it's it's rare that you go to a a, a race or a racetrack where everything is perfect right that that it's rare if not impossible and yet i feel like when the stakes get raised here we're racing for seventy five thousand a hundred thousand dollars all of those imperfections however minor or major they may be they just seem to get amplified it's as if we're paying so much and we have so much on the line here that that we're almost entitled to everything being just right right and when it's not everything gets on edge. And then the, the, the racetrack, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know their story, but I'm going to assume they're not going to raise their hand and, and agree to put on an event like this if they're not invested in making everything as perfect as it can possibly be. So things are not going well. The racers are on edge. The racetrack wants to, you know, defensive isn't necessarily the right word, but they're trying their best and they're not, they're not, they know it's not right, but at the same time, you know, what more can they do? and tensions just run high, right? 
Yeah, I think you nailed that completely. That's the, the scenario that we've all seen play out quite a few times. And I think that's basically how this played out. So there are seven cars in the 75 grander. Pretty serious deal. At that point, you know, there's there's a lot at stake with every wind light. And Bailey Ferraro had done his burnout in the right lane, to my understanding. And as he rolled closer to the beams he was not in the pre-stage beam yet however the pre-stage beam was given a flicker like he was ever so close and about to to light it up and he stopped apparently well short of it it's still flickering so you know with with all that on the line i can imagine um you know that bailey was basically adamant about needing to make sure this is right. And he stopped and asked him to, to bring the, the race director down, which uh, was uh, a Carolina Dragway employee. And I think he had had some, some people barking at him throughout the day. So probably had his frustration level a little high, come down, and my understanding is they dug around in the beams and pulled the box up and went through pulled wires and unplugged and plugged and did everything they could and finally got it to act the way that it's supposed to act. So the call was made to, all right, let's go. Let's, let's uh, resume here. And uh, as the race director started walking by Bailey, I think Bailey said you know hey we're staging for 75 grand here could i get the rollout wheel out here to make sure nothing has moved which i think is a fair request um you know i don't know how bailey asked that i i, I hadn't known bailey to be uh, disrespectful but i think the individual that he was talking to and he had had some history that wasn't perfect and that probably led to some words being said and chest being poked out. It didn't probably, it did lead to that. So the, the race director goes and gets the rollout wheel and checks it. And I think that it checked out and, you know, kind of put a feather in his cap, so to speak. And then maybe uh, Bailey responded in a way that he didn't like. And he, you know, that's what I'm hearing about on social media is the, the video where the race director tossed the, you know, through the rollout wheel in frustration and, uh, and wanted to, wanted to get after Bailey a little bit. And that is the scenario that happened to my knowledge or based on what the champ told me. And uh, it kind of got a little heated and people, you know, coming the, the, the mob quote unquote mob that I heard about that come to the, the gathering of those two individuals maybe um, wasn't someone looking to rumble. It was just maybe people trying to get cooler heads to prevail, I hope. So that is the, the big shakeout that happened or, or, you know, that happened at seven or the, the big drama field round that I heard so much about. And, you know, Luke staging for 75 grand at seven cars and people walking around and picking up the, the, the beam box and, or the beam cover and unplugging wires. I don't think that was an unfair request. I, you know, I, 
I'm probably not smart enough myself to say, hey, wait a minute, let's let's check this. I probably go up there and stage and and hope for the best. But I, I think Bailey was I think that was some really clear thinking on his part and something that he probably should not have had to ask for. I think if everybody was messing around and there are multiple people, then that probably should have been something that was done without him requesting it. Yeah, and I, I would agree. And my fear uh, in requesting something like that, I don't, I'm not speaking toward the, the, um, the, the Carolina Dragway officials at all. I just know at least some, maybe the majority of tracks that I race at, I ain't real sure they know what that thing's supposed to measure or what it measured to start with. So I don't know what good the rollout wheel is going to do us at that point. Like, I mean, if the lanes had been equal and they're not messing right. with the right lane, like, Hey, go over and measure that one. Make sure this one's the same. Maybe. Yeah. Right. But beyond yeah. that, I don't, I, I've never done that enough to know what I was looking at. And I, I, I think that we kind of take for granted that, that every track manager or race director does. And I'm not so sure that's the case either. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I, there's probably tons of tracks that don't have a rollout wheel. Um, you know, they just set it and forget it and hope for the best. And, right. um, and, you know, so the, and even if it's checked semi-regularly, like actually having notes on it, knowing, hey, this is what it checked that Thursday morning. Like, I don't know that that's something that you could depend on at most racetracks. It's something you should be able to depend on, but I don't know if it's something you can. Yeah, I agree. But but basically you summed it all up. Look, if it's if it's the same as the other lane, and you guys went through this exercise prior to the event and had it the same as the other lane and I'm good. And I'm, I'm just going to go up there and expect that to be the case. But, and again, um, like this is stuff that this is, you know, I don't want to call it Bush league. Like I wasn't there. Like, I don't know, but this is stuff that you expect on a Saturday night racing for $1,200. Like you just assume as a racer, perhaps wrongfully, but when you pony up the money to race for, for this kind of stakes, you just assume all that stuff's going to be right. And again, maybe that's not a completely realistic assumption, but I think it is fair to assume that someone's got this under their thumb and, and, and should be able to handle the, the, the worst case scenario. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, uh, you know, we, we heard back when AJ was the race director for SFG, we heard about, um, how they, checked it and had a little issue and i'm not sure what track that might have been at darlington might have been at carolina but um to have someone on your team that's capable of of uh of getting to the the right answer with those tools or without them that's uh, i think that's very important so i um, not real sure why that was left on the racetrack but you know that's something sfg's name's on the line so that's something they probably would like to or should control going in going forward but the as far as the racetrack conditions luke the the you know champ said look the, the race director said everybody goes down the track just fine at my races or our races and i don't know why y'all are having so much trouble y'all need checky stuff that's um that's definitely something i think we've all dealt with um we we've had this discussion quite a few times on the show and if if I'm having trouble somewhere and cars are going down the track, then I feel like I need to make the adjustments. But when there's enough people having trouble and it's a large number or a, a decent percentage of your crowd, I think you need to I think you need to stop and give it a look and do the best you can. Make sure that you're putting out the best product that you can put out instead of resting on, um, you know, everybody goes down the track at our races type attitude. Uh, Champ said the the race director 
said problems all them dragsters pulling up the rubber on the track now i put on foot brake races and we get bald spots because coming up on the converter and bumping in and the heat and the track's gooey and i would love to have like eight dragsters at the at our foot brake races just in between rounds just burn across the line i don't think the dragsters are bad for pulling up the rubber i think they're good for laying it down i don't I mean, obviously they have what they know way more about track prep than I do, but I don't know that we should blame all them dragsters for pulling up the rubber on the track. Uh, if the rubber's coming up that easy, we might have a different issue. Yeah, I just, it just dawned on me. I have a solution for how to get back to the World Footbrake Challenge because it is becoming more and more apparent by the week that I have no business staging up in the World Footbrake Challenge anymore. Maybe I can come and just be one of those guys in a dragster to make burnouts. Cause I'd love to be there and be a part of it, but I have no business competing off the bottom. Can I come do burnouts between rounds, lay down some rubber. You could with all due respect, if you're going to, if you're just going to show up and do that, I would just prefer just because, because it's you and it's cool. I would like you to bring your buggy and do it. Yeah. I don't own I mean, a dragster. So I just have to do big burnouts on the buggy. That'd be yeah. fine. Right? And yeah. it would look, it would look similar to a door car. It's left-hand steer. So yeah, bring it up there and hell, maybe even hit the bottom with it, you know? I'd, I'd have to flat punch it. <laughs> yeah, I'd go Peter Biondo, <laughs> Mike Fuquay on it. Nonetheless, um, that, that was too much drama, I'm sure, for Kyle Riley and his team. But uh, Champ said, look, the SFG crew made good calls. They handled situations as well as possible. That's an experienced crew. They, they have put on some of the biggest and baddest races uh, that our sport knows and has seen. So no doubt in my mind, they they knew how to respond and get the best result possible. And he he certainly wanted to commend them for for what they uh, dealt with and the way that they were able to handle quite a few issues that were brought to their attention. And he thought they did a really good job. And Champ's a straight up guy. He ain't gonna sugarcoat it for anybody. And so I I, I think we can all trust that and know that the SFG team uh, did a great job once again of, of facilitating the race. Yeah. To my earlier point, Jed, like I, I think it is fair to mention that there are two sides of the story. Like I always err as a racer to saying like, Hey, if, if anybody's getting on the track, I got to figure out a way to get down the track at the same time. If you're putting on an, an event of that magnitude, you're very well aware of the quality, not just of competition, but of, of competition vehicle at that event. And if you're hearing from multiple racers you know, i mean you, you know big jed like you you put on a race and you can count on i don't know what it is the two or three percent that are they just are going to whine to whine right like they, it's inevitable but when it gets beyond that and you're having yeah. really accomplished successful racers say like hey the track's awful then there's there's definitely some obligation for the racetrack to do what you can to to better that situation it sounds like they did over the course of the weekend to champ's point said sunday was much better than the rest of the weekend but i think my, my point is that there's probably some some fault and blame to go all the way around there both racer and 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 track official yeah well said i think that's a, a great take on it and did you say two or three percent or 23 percent I, I didn't really. I said two or three, but it could easily turn into 23. What, what, what's your take? What, which one's closer? <laughs> well, two or three percent. And when you got, you know, and, and this is a, we're blessed and very fortunate. But when you got 500 plus two or three percent represents a pretty good number. So I would say yeah. that's probably about right. It's a very vocal minority. Yeah, I would say you're two or three percent. But 
So that's a, that's all good stuff that we talked about those winners and get some of these drama issues out. But Luke, I don't know if you got to see the video of Gage Birch, uh, very scary top end incident. Um, Gage in competition uh, goes down to the finish line and does what Gage has done a thousand times. He drops someone and it looked immediately like it was an overly aggressive uh, uh, driving style, but it was not exactly what it appeared. I, I text Gage today, told him I was uh, happy to see that he, he got through that incident safe, um, but, you know, certainly told him, you know, be careful out there. And he said, yeah, man, I appreciate it. He said it was a scary thing. His car did a, did a 360 uh, from one lane to the other and did not hit the wall. didn't get on its side, didn't get on its roof. Um, and, you know, he, he did the, again, uh, the same type of drop he's done a thousand times at the finish line. So it's easy. And, and I'm guilty as charged. I, I'm hearing track condition issues. And then I see that happen. And I say, well, Gage went down and got super aggressive and dropped and, you know, something didn't go right. Obviously he he's done that a lot. So he knows kind of his pressure point to the, to the brake pedal and how to apply that properly, but it got away from him. Well, the car, he did drop like he's done a thousand times, as I said, but it had some broken, it broke some stuff in the, in the front end, some in the front end, some uh, travel limiters, which let it go a little deeper than it's supposed to go. And, it broke it on one side, but not the other. So that creates an imbalance at the finish line as well. And I think all that stuff combined led to the result that we saw. But, uh, you know, I just want people to know that while that is an aggressive driving style, unlike what some people like, uh, it, uh, it was not something that ultimately is going to end in an accident every time there were broken parts involved and some things got a little bit away from him as a result but uh, main thing is it was a scary deal and he is okay and certainly happy to hear that uh, that he didn't get any more damage than what uh, just happened on its own down there at the finish line yeah i'm just glad that there was no harm done other than a whole bunch of finger pointing on the internet and I don't know. It doesn't resonate much anymore. <laughs> that that, that was that. the biggest event of the weekend. And it's funny, like Memorial Day weekend, like there's quote unquote big, what, what definitely would have been considered big events 10 years ago at seemingly every other racetrack in the country. Um, to your earlier point, like there's just not, a, there wasn't a ton of standout events, but we did have the one, the SFG race off the top, and we had one off the bottom. Uh, the, the, the no delay nationals, the, the Bernie man Memorial, uh, up in, uh, Terre Haute, which is, uh, I believe it's called Wabash Valley dragway these days, Jake Hodge and final call promotions. Looks like they put on another great event and similar to what we've talked about with, I mean, I don't want to put them in, in a class quite yet with Scotty Richardson, but similar to what we talk about with Stephen McCrory and how here lately, there's a guy that's been making it look really easy. How about Taylor bowling, big Jed Taylor bowling has been making the bottom bulb stuff look very easy he has been luke uh, he, he's been on quite a heater this year you know he taylor shut himself down i don't know back in the summer last year 
shut down his racing and said, you know, I might need to work on my program. I need to work on my car. I want to, you know, get it tuned in the best I can chassis, the whole deal. But he also took that time to, to make it super nice and pretty. And it, that the, the view of it matches the performance of it now. And it's just a quality, quality piece. And he is driving the wheels off of it, Luke. He, you know, he's obviously started performing very early in the year and at the, the events down south, traveling to him. That's continued all now up to, to this weekend where he had another huge performance on a big stage at the, the uh, No Delay Nationals. Um, I, I've seen Taylor race Luke for years and Taylor's always been one of those guys that would lay down the lap on you and, and make it where you just couldn't beat it. But at the same time, I think he was hampered a little bit by his chassis and things on his car, just not being exactly like he wanted. And he, it probably cost him quite a bit. He probably lost quite a few times with a better reaction and, you know, car not doing what it was supposed to do. And I commend him for doing what he did and shutting his program down and saying, you know, this is too serious out here. This there's too much at stake and I'm pissing away too much of my talent on equipment that's not where it needs to be. And he has made that car stupid good and it's beautiful as well. And I'm super proud of Taylor and what he's accomplishing out on the racetrack and you know what he's winning and who he's winning it against is very very impressive taylor bowling came into this event on a on a heater right had has had a, a tremendous start to the 2022 season and that continued on saturday he he wins the main event uh 8500 to win main event over jason ford in the final round and i'll be honest like looking through the the, the box score looking through the round by round taylor bowling was was impressive but but human right like there was a couple of right place right time instances in there that race then rolled into a, a Saturday night gamblers race. I don't even know what the stakes were in the Saturday night gamblers race, but it's worth mentioning Taylor Bowling and um, one of the Combs boys. I'm not even sure which one. Do you know, Jed? Uh, yeah, I believe that it was um, Phil Jr. If I remember okay. correctly. So Taylor and Phil Jr. roll to the final of that race. It's a split and quit. Again, I'm not even aware of the stakes, but keep in mind, Taylor Bowling enters this race hot on the heels of, of winning the main event. And then proceeds to roll through this race, big dead. I just have, I, I had to write down the numbers because it blew me away. Uh, starting in round two, I didn't see round one. Round two, he's 002 on the tree. Tyler Bowling is lays down nine total. Round three, he has his he has his human moment. He really missed it. It was eighteen off the bottom. Round four, his opponent is nine total and nine behind. Tyler Bowling lays down nothing. Dead, dead, dead zero comes back around the, and now will be the quarterfinal round backs up that perfect run with a 001 reaction time. And then in the semis, a 004 reaction time, like just didn't miss. And it's, yeah. Yeah. So you just stack all of that on top of one another and what he's accomplished to this point in the season. And I still, I'm not ready yet to say like, I feel like the bottom bulb crowd nationwide. I feel like there's, there's Nick Hastings and then there's another level and that second level may not belong to anybody, but Lucas Walker. Right. It, it, and, yeah. But just short of that, like I think Taylor bowling is in that conversation now of like, no doubt top 10, perhaps, you know, top five, three, however you want to, to, to quantify that. And I think it's, 
it's a pretty, I think it's notable how that, how much that's changed in the last year. Cause I don't think you knew of Taylor bowling, right. And, and his talents, oh, yeah. but Most I don't definitely. think anybody had included his name in that conversation a year ago. So just because I know you're closer to this situation than I am, tell the average listener, like who is Taylor bowling? Where does he come from? And how has this progressed seemingly so rapidly for him? Well, again, Taylor's a young racer. I, I'm going to guess Taylor is probably in his late 20s. Um, I don't know his age, but he's a young bottom bulb racer, primary bottom bulb racer from uh, the, the central Tennessee area, from the Nashville area, uh, races around the hill and races around Bowling Green. He, you know, he's is over probably to Buffalo Valley and those type places, but um, hasn't been a guy that traveled a ton, but he travels enough that he is used to competing on a big stage. He's come to Bristol quite a few times. He, uh, I've seen him in, uh, Pensacola at Emerald coast, which is a pretty good little ride from Nashville. So it's a guy that gets out and competes, but again, he, uh, he's, he's always had a lot of talent and ability. I, I really just believe his car has kept him from accomplishing more and he fixed that. Not that he had junk by any means. I don't know. Nobody blow this out of proportion. It just wasn't as competitive as he needed it to be or as he wanted it to be. And he shut it down. So he's going to fix that. And he has done that. And Taylor uh, did, he raced a little bit in Lucas Walker's uh, car and one of Lucas Walker's cars while his was down, he was winning in it too. Just, and it, Lucas's stuff's always top notch and good and, and runs the dial in. And I think that showed immediately that this young man is very talented and you give him the equipment that, that can go out there and compete and do what it's supposed to do round after round. And he will do his part. And he has done just that uh, at a very high level. And Loki talked about, yeah, he's human in the main event which, you know, I don't know that there's ever been a time that he wasn't human and there won't ever be a time that he, that he's not human, but when your car is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, even in your human moments, you know, you, you can get away with some of those things when you know exactly what you're going to run or how much you're holding or whatever the case is. So he didn't look human in that game, race, big Jed. <laughs> and, no. and, and when I say human, I'm like, he was 20 a couple of times, you know, <laughs> like sure. it wasn't like he was 60. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you're going to have the, his human know, and my human are a little different. <laughs> yeah. Guys like guys like Taylor on the heater. He's on when they miss it. They're going to be 40, but they can get away with it. The, the thing is what makes Taylor great. And any of those others great is that recognition. Soon as they hit the gas, that, that immediate thought in your head of, Okay, I was just I let that light up a little too much. That was 40. And now I've got to do what I've got to do to correct that on the racetrack or at least, you know, give the impression that I'm correcting it. So I think Taylor has gained some skill just from the confidence that he's gained uh, with his performances on the racetrack. You know, just like the win over Jason Ford. Luke, I don't know if you know Jason Ford. Jason is a bad, bad man. You know, there's few people that can race with Rick Bear, uh, Brett Williamson, uh, Chris Blair, those guys with a button in their hand. There's few people that can match their performance with that transbrake button in their hand. But Jason Ford is one of them. Doug Kaplinger, 
those guys just get it done. And Jason Ford's a bad, bad dude, makes killer runs. And Taylor to get that win over the guy with the trans brake button in his hand, you know, that's just another another moment there that that you can be real proud of. Uh, not that, you know, not that that's something to, to brag about by any means. Uh, those guys compete against one another all the time. But when you beat a guy at Jason Ford's level and he's got a trans break in his hand, that puts a, that pegs the pride meter just a little bit for the foot swapper. No question. So Taylor Bowling gets the win in the first main event over Jason Ford. Um, day two was uh, Austin Tool, local standout over the aforementioned Slick Rick Bears. Those were your big winners from Terre Haute. Big Jed, there was, uh, like I said, Memorial Day weekend. It, it brings five and ten granders all across the country. Uh, we don't have time to hit on every single individual event, but there were a couple of notes from the weekend that, that stood out to me. Um, first was about the state of Iowa. Like, I, I think I've raced in the state of Iowa once in my life. Um, and now it, it's becoming like this little hub of big dollar bracket racing action. Just the last three weeks, um, Thomas Gall and his team put on a big event. I believe it was at Eddieville um, two weeks ago. This weekend, uh, I believe it was something that the track put on at Cedar Falls, a, a big Memorial Day event that, that had a looked like it had a good crowd and was kind of all the, the usual suspects, if you will, um, in late for that part of the country. And this is all leading up to the SFG 350 again at Cedar Falls this coming weekend. So all of a sudden, um, you know, three weeks in a row, Iowa, the state of Iowa is like a, a hotbed for big dollar bracket racing. Yeah, that's, you know, it's an area of the country that you really don't hear much about um, as far as big money racing goes. So it is news when a big money race happens there or certainly a, a traveling promotion team goes there to race. Luke, when you think of some of the people from that area that that get out and race a little bit, you know, Lane Dickens from up in there, uh, obviously, uh, Brett Williamson and the folks are not right in the state but they're not far from it there is a ton of talented racers in that region of the country that have had to put so many miles and so much wear and tear on their stuff to get to the great races so this is awesome to get to see them have events that others want to travel into and come from a different region to race in their region and um you know gall star the 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 awareness this guy's putting on our sport uh that is freaking awesome you know he, he's doing his uh his live streams he's putting on events uh it's really incredible to see the the transition that that he is making from one part of racing to another and and that's he's got his own following and it, it's incredible to see uh cedar falls a legendary drag strip that that is having their own races for people that support them week in and week out and and the, you know you think about racers in minnesota and the dakotas that have to go god luke i don't know where they got to go 800 to a thousand miles to go race good races and now they're probably within 500 miles which is like driving across the street to those guys so it's awesome to see and then the sfg they've been wildly successful in iowa and uh, and, and certainly paying money that people don't get to race for in many regions of the country. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving the opportunity that those racers are getting and, and the, the light that's being shed on the, the competitors 
in that region and certainly the talent you know it's it's quite obvious when you get to see these live feeds and that type of stuff to see these racers can race with anybody in the world and um looking forward to seeing some more big events coming up through that area and, and stuff that we get to talk about here on the show you mentioned brett williamson's name a couple of times on the show i had him in my notes uh, byron dragway had a, a big memorial day race i believe it was 310 granders brett williamson showed out he rolled through the no box side on back-to-back days sunday and monday to uh, to win the no box portion of the event and advance to the overall final he was ended up runner up in both of those races um <clears throat> so back-to-back runner-ups through the no box side the second of which I believe uh, um, his first runner-up was to uh, Dion Dignitz. Second was uh, just yesterday, or as we're recording yesterday, Monday, uh, to Nick Folk. And Nick is uh, obviously a driver that we're familiar with and that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago here on the show. He was in the Folk Race Cars 1, the, the, the first dragster uh, of many that appear to be coming off the assembly line up there. Obviously, Nick's got the house car and uh, and then uh, broke it in right. Uh, I believe it was only the third or fourth time out with it. He wins a ten thousand dollar race to uh, to cap the weekend there at Byron over Brett Williamson and uh, Brett showed out for the weekend. Another one that showed out up there, uh, John D. Piazza, a racer that uh, I'm really familiar with because he and his brother Andrew have a ton of success traditionally at our Jag Summer Door Car Shootout. D. Piazza uh, didn't make a final at Byron, but advanced to the the box final in back-to-back days, I believe losing to the aforementioned uh, Dignitz and then Nick Folk um, back-to-back days. So pretty impressive performances from that trio of racers that I guess we've kind of come to expect uh, pretty impressive performances from yeah it does seem like that happens a lot from the list that you, that you just mentioned uh obviously brett williamson uh, as i said super talented on the bottom and and he can let go on the top as well but no surprise there to see him have great success really cool to see nick folk get a win in his his first uh, first win in his new dragster chassis uh we talked about that those guys know what they're doing they build great race cars, whether the doors close on them, whether the, the body raises up and down or, or whether you uh, you're in a long car with the with the engine in the back. It's it's uh, no surprise whatsoever to see that that talent on and off the track uh, lead them to a win in the new car. And then John D. Piazza. Love that guy. Uh, super clean stuff. Dial in boards are in the wing. I mean, how cool is that? That's uh, that's something you don't see every day. That's some good thinking. Uh, obviously, love he and his brother. Both the DPIs are good folks. Uh, I, you know, they're from Chicago. Their name's DPIs. I've said many times, they, you know, those guys make you an offer you can't refuse. So you know, you gotta you gotta be good good to them and make sure you you watch your p's and q's. But a uh, couple of box finals, pretty good weekend for John D. But uh, great performances there, and, and certainly, um, again, a list of winners that don't just win in that region of the country. They win anywhere they go. So, look, that wraps up the the bracket racing and, and the, the events that were on the schedule there that, that we had on our list to discuss. There was a Division One NHRA Division One Lucas Oil race at uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, you've got some great notes here about some good performances. So, I'll let you kind of uh, geek out here and tell us about these. Yeah, light weekend on the NHRA Tour. Um, it really ramps back up this coming week. I think we've got uh, divisional events in Norwalk, Division Three, 
Brainerd Division Five, as well as the uh, the Northeastern Nationals up in Epping, New Hampshire. So plenty of, uh, of of NHRA notes on next week's show. The only event this past weekend, as you mentioned, uh, Division One Lucas Oil Series event in Maple Grove, which was actually the the second leg of a of a back to back for the D1 crew. In fact, if you include New England, uh, the national event this weekend, they go from Cecil County to Maple Grove to to Epping. Pretty pretty rough stretch there. Pretty pretty intense stretch for the division one faithful, a couple of notes from Reading. How about Keith Myers, Keith Mayers, uh, super street winner at Reading. Um, if that name sounds familiar, he, he, he's won super street, like kind of everywhere for the last, I don't know, decade, but the heater that he's on this season, his win at Reading comes a week on the heels of his win at Cecil County. Those were the second and third NHRA division one events of the season. What happened at the first one? Well, he had an off day. He was runner up at ATCO. So at this point, Keith Mayer's in Division One competition, um, almost an unblemished record. I don't know exactly the round wins, but I'd venture to say he's like 16 and one. Pretty sporty. Yeah, that's pretty stout. Another back-to-back winner from uh, the two-week swing, uh, Cecil County to Maple Grove was Steve Zubka. Got the back-to-back wins in competition eliminator. Double O Joe, our old friend Double O Joe Santangelo, uh, made his first appearance of the NHRA season. And took home his first Wally stock eliminator winning uh, Joe Santangelo uh, a, a performance, an impressive performance that again, we've come to expect. And I did think it was worth noting, Big Jed, Chris Garrettson, friend of the podcast, former guest on the podcast. Chris Garrettson did not win Super Comp at Reading. Uh, he was runner up to Lee Ream. But Chris Garrison's performance en route to the final, again, Chris Garrettson is the the small front tire, top end throttle stop, buck every trend in super comp. I'm going 890 at 123 in a field that is now typically 890 at 180 to 190 in some cases, right? Chris Carrotson, not only is he coasting across the finish line at 123 miles an hour, he did miss it in the final. He went 888, lost to Lee Ream, as I mentioned, but for the five rounds leading up to the final, Chris Garrettson ran eight ninety five times at a buck twenty three. Come on, <laughs> that's pretty nasty right there. That uh, that that's good stuff, and obviously happy to see a friend of the podcast and Chris Garrettson get that uh, runner up finish. That's a huge deal, especially with the style he's using. Keith Mayers and Steve Supka. That's cool, but I wish I had a kazoo, a surprise kazoo for for Joe. Uh, Santangelo getting a stock win in his first outing. Like, I mean, that, like, that's really a surprise. I mean, this guy's incredible. First outing of the year, stock eliminator, double O Joe gets it done. So really cool to see that and happy for him and, and all the winners there at the D one race. But uh, we'll obviously, if, if NHRA is your thing, we'll obviously have plenty more of that to discuss in the coming weeks. As Luke said, as that schedule's ramping up a little bit, Luke, I think, this just about has us wrapped up. This is a, a fairly short show for us. It's a very short show for us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can take no news and talk about it for three hours. So, you know, it was a slow news week and we're out of here in what, 45 minutes? Yeah, I don't know oh, how, how long how long we lasted here, but this is a great opportunity with it being a short show. Hopefully they're still listening. I, I met some folks that I think's involved with your program a little bit. This is Bracket Racing. Uh, and that is uh, Teddy and Amanda Mitchell. 
met those folks at uh, Holly Springs and um, they talked about the podcast and they listened to it and they were really special, super nice people and just genuine folks that were out there enjoying the sport the way that we all should. So I want to give them a shout out before we get into to shout outs. I want to do a little special one for those two. Love it. There are two loyal listeners. <laughs> we found them. <laughs> we found them. Uh, but folks, look, uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot to discuss, but there was a little bit of drama. And uh, if you saw some of it, if you got some comments about some of it, if you uh, heard something that you want to discuss, we've got a place you can do that. You can go right there to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, and you can get out there and tell the world what you're thinking or what's on your mind, or you can send it through private message. And we'll handle that quietly. But either way, we would love to hear from you there on the, the Facebook page. We need to hear from you. Just really not hearing from you folks enough. Hello. Hello. Are y'all listening? Tune in, listen to the show, and then give us your opinion. We really want to hear what you got to say, and we love to hear what you got to say. So reach out to us there on the Facebook page and tell us what you're thinking about this show or any other one that, uh, that you're listening to that you've got to listen to recently or any other time. So just tell us what you're thinking, folks. We need to hear you're out there. Luke? I did my one shout out. Who you got? Uh, don't get your hopes up, but I got a little bit. I got a little bit. Shouts to Scotty. He's back. Scotty's Scotty. Scotty's back. Scotty's back. Shouts to Champ. He's him. Yes. Shouts to shouts to Brad Burton because you you're safe, Brad. You're fine. You're going to win the world champion. I called it two months ago, but there's footsteps. I mean, Double O Joe's batting a thousand. <laughs> he's only got to, he only needs like four more of those to overtake yeah, you. He's only got to win everything he does. He's coming. Shouts to the state of Iowa, big money bracket racing capital of the world. Shouts to the Di Piazza family and the rest of the Chicago mob. Shouts to drama. Shouts to clubbing <laughs> people over the head in, in, in whatever form you want to go about it. That's all I got. That was a nice, that fit the show. Nice short list of good shouts. Really good stuff. Short and to the point. And, uh, and we appreciate it as always, Luke. Folks, look, Twitter is a, is a useful tool. Now, Luke don't have a phone. He don't get on Twitter anymore, but he's going to fix that at some point soon. I was and holding out. Did. Yesterday was my birthday. I was going to get, I, I was certain I'm going to get a new phone. I'm, I'm going to have to go get a phone. <laughs> Yesterday was your birthday? Yeah. Happy birthday to me. Oh, my God. How did I miss your birthday, bro? Happy birthday. Thanks. Right here on the show, man. How many Happy was that? Where's the kazoo? <laughs> that was terrible. That was, that was bad. <laughs> How many years young, my man? 41. 41? 41. Hell, I've been racing almost that long. I mean, I really have. I've been I racing. I feel like I have too, big guy. <laughs> Luke, I've been racing 38 years. I started when I was 13. I've been racing 38 years. You're 41. That's awesome. I mean, those are like almost the same amount of years. <laughs> can y'all tell we've run out of stuff we talk about <laughs> uh, so anyway get on twitter i love to be tweeted at i love to be uh um twatted or whatever you do it but uh get, send me something just tell me you're listening send luke something he is at luke bogacki b-o-g-a-c-k-i i am at jp11x and we would love to hear from you there on the tweeter and uh luke might not respond but yeah at me. Yeah, that's what you say. At me. Yeah. So add us. 
Luke might not respond because he's not on Twitter anymore, but he's getting back on. I will respond, whether it's just a like or whatever. So you can count on it. But we appreciate you listening. Sorry for the short show if you were looking for something a little bit longer or different. But, uh, you know, we're going to have plenty to talk about in the coming weeks and and can't wait to, to get with you then. But until then, stay safe, have fun, and we'll talk to you real soon about more Sportsman Drag Racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.